0: All right, we're continuing Jazz Blues Month here on the Learn Jazz Standards podcast, where we are diving in deep to the jazz blues, the importance of it, and of course, how to improvise over it and master the jazz blues. In In week one, last week of the podcast, I gave you three reasons why you need to master the jazz blues, how important this is, and how powerful this is, and how it can give you an unfair advantage in your jazz playing if you are highly proficient at it. And in this week, we're starting our first of three strategies we're going over here. We're talking about how to map out a jazz blues for improv success and how important I believe this is and uh, several different phases of the mapping process that will start to unlock this important chord form in jazz. Let's jump right to it. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, he's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. Woo! What's up, everybody? Brent here from LearnJazzStandards.com, which is a blog, a podcast, and videos all geared towards helping you become a better jazz musician. Jazz Blues Month. Week number two, so excited for this. We are gonna be diving in deep into what I call mapping, which of course can be applied to any jazz standard, but the thing that I love about mapping over top of the blues is it's only 12 bars, at least a typical 12-bar blues. And like I like I mentioned last week, the blues is just an incredible springboard for jazz improv. And uh, we're gonna be going over three different phases of mapping out a jazz blues, and then where we can take it from there to really, really, truly map out a blues in its entirety. So uh, I'll be giving that uh, extra special tip at the end of the episode, but we're gonna be diving deep into this. And uh, in case you didn't hear the news, in case it didn't reach you, I'm telling you now, on October 6th, I am launching my brand new course, Jazz Blues accelerator this is an incredible practice program that will leave you absolutely no choice i don't care if you think you're untalented or whatever you think about yourself it will leave you absolutely no choice but at the end of the course to have to be highly proficient at a jazz blues and this course will help you have an unfair advantage for jazz improv in general this is going to be a dynamite course. I'm really excited. Uh, so October 6th, mark your calendar, Sunday, October 6th. But to get invited into it, I am offering a completely free masterclass called Boost Your Jazz Blues. And that's also going to be coming out then. So whether you want to take the course at the end or not, Booster Jazz Blues is is free. And it's a great, uh, great tool. Uh, it's going to be a great masterclass. So I want you to join me for that. Of course, I want you to join me for the course. But either way, you can sign up for all of that for the waiting list on jazzbluesaccelerator.com. So go to jazzbluesaccelerator.com. Sign up for that there. So excited for this. This ugh, this could be one of the best courses I've ever come out with. It might be the best one. I, I don't know. It's hard for me to decide. I love them all, but this one is this one is extra special. Uh, okay, that's all I'm going to say. Let's just jump right into the show today. Let's jump into mapping out a jazz blues for improv success. Okay, so there are three phases to mapping out a jazz blues. We're going to go over each one individually. They are in order of the the order that I would go through a mapping process. It's not just three random ones. Uh, I, I will start with the first one and we'll end with the last one the, the way I would suggest you actually practice it. Um, of course, first, let me just quickly define what I mean by mapping. It's sort of self-explanatory, but basically we are going to be mapping out all of our note choices through uh, different angles, like different ways to look at it uh, on a jazz blues form. So we're going to be not only figuring out what all the note choices are we're going to be figuring out what the most important note choices are and we're going to combine all of them together so that by the time you're done if you're working on just one key you're going to really understand the scope of note choices you can have to start creating melodies this is super important because when it comes to improv a place where a lot of people get stuck is simply not knowing the note choices not knowing how to navigate the form not knowing how to connect all of those notes together to make melodic sense. Therefore, they either sound like they're playing scales or they just aren't sure how to navigate their instrument properly. So therefore, you're set up for failure. So forget about playing awesome blues lines. Forget about all that stuff, which we're gonna start talking about in uh, next episode, strategy, strat, strategy, strategy number two, three pillars of jazz blues language. We'll talk about that in, uh, in the next episode, okay? But we're starting here with mapping. Now, quickly... Uh, Let's go over what I believe is a basic jazz blues form. When I say basic, I just mean, of course, you can play a bunch of other chord changes, but these are what I would consider the common basic uh, chord structure of the form, okay? So let's go over that right now. We're gonna do this in concert C, just for example. So we start with a C7, which is the one chord, the one dominant seventh chord. That's unique to blues, that the one chord is a dominant seventh chord, right? That's really what makes the blues unique in that sense. It's not a major seventh chord. So we have a bar of the one chord, so C7. And then, we go to the four chord. That's going to be F7 in this case. One bar of the four chord. Back to the one chord for two bars, so... Okay, and then, after that, we go to the four chord for one bar. So F7, and then... This is really uh, important in the in a jazz blues form here, that really differentiates itself from just a regular blues, like a basic, you know, blues blues, and that is the sharp four diminished, okay? So it's F7 is the four, and then the next bar, we're hitting an F sharp diminished seven, okay? This is that gospel-y bluesy thing that we get from a jazz blues. Okay, let's just recap really quick. So one chord for one bar, four chord for one bar, one chord for two bars then four chord and then sharp four diminished F sharp diminished 7 and then back to the one chord for one bar okay now this is a really important move here that's the A7 okay what's that that's the six dominant 7th which is really basically tonicizing the two chord that's coming up in the next bar so I talked about this a little bit in the last episode of Jazz Blues Month but this is a secondary dominant we're basically taking this which is normally you know a minor seventh chord in diatonic harmony but we're making a dominant seventh chord so it makes it feel like the two chord is is, is a one chord right so that's called a secondary dominant and this is really important in jazz right it's important chord form so let's go back after the four chord the diminished seven one bar of C7 and then A7, so that's the 6 for 1 bar. And then 2, that's C, uh, that's a D minor 7. To G7 for 1 bar, so that's a 2, 5, 1. And then, it's, you know, either there's a, another turnaround at the end, or it's just 5 or something like that, back to the 1. Okay, the turnaround isn't as important because you can do a million different turnarounds. So, really quickly, so 1 chord for 1 bar... Four chord for one bar. One chord for two bars. Four chord for one bar. Sharp four diminished for one bar. One chord for one bar. Six dominant seven for one bar. Two. One. uh, Sorry. Two for one bar. Uh, And then five for one bar. And then back to the one and then some kind of five turnaround back to the one to the top of the form again. Okay. That's what I consider a basic jazz blues. Know that forwards, backwards in all 12 keys, which we'll be talking about. So stay tuned for all of that. And that's, by the way, there, that is not the secret sauce, but in strategy number three and not next week's episode, but the week after that, we're talking about the secret sauce for mastering a jazz blues. And that is part of the... I'll just give you a sneak peek. That is definitely part of it. It's not the whole of it, but that is definitely part of it. And we're going to be talking a little bit about that too here in a second as well. Okay, so we understand now what the basic jazz blues is. Let's go to our first phase of mapping. And we're just going to stick for now in the key of concert C. The first phase of mapping is chord tones. Okay, chord tones. What I mean by chord tones? We have our one chord, C7. You know, most of you understand what I'm talking about, but it's root, third, fifth, seventh. That's that's, uh, an arpeggio, if you will, the chord tones of the one chord. So, right? And then, four chord, same thing for a dominant seventh chord. One, three, five, flat seven. That's what makes a dominant seven. Back to the one chord. Then, this diminished, right? back to the one okay right so we're just playing basically the chord tones there now that's not that's not the mapping (laughs) that's not the mapping that is just The chord tones. I just wanted to give that as an example there. Now, why do we start with chord tones? I really want to address this really quick. Okay, I want pay special attention. If you're just phasing out in the car right now, which you shouldn't be, you need to be paying attention to the road. Or if you're just like you know starting to phase out this point, beep, come back to me for a second here. All right, why do we start with chord tones? Right? Why don't we start with scales? Why don't we start with um, playing licks or any of those other things? The chord tones. This is the main problem I hear from people. People are like, hey. I want to sound like a great jazz improviser. Some people sometimes people use the, the language jazzy or they you know, whatever it is, making the changes. The key to doing that is playing chord tones and connecting them together from one chord to the next. That is absolutely the key. If you want to start sounding like you're playing the changes, it's not about playing scales, it's not about necessarily playing licks, although that will help you learn language of how to do that. You need to start by understanding the chord tones and connecting them together. D- does that make sense? Okay, so we start with the chord tones for that reason. And, you know, just to prove a point here really quickly, if you don't mind, I'm just going to play uh I'm going to go ahead and play a C Blues backing track really quick, and I'm just going to play chord tones over top of it to improvise. All right? Sound good? Let's listen to it. So, okay, so that was just chord tones, except for the, uh, or what did I do? Just a little trill at the end. Other than that, that was all chord tones, okay? So that's the power of that, is that you could already hear some music starting to happen, and that wasn't licks, that wasn't blues scale, that wasn't pentatonics, it wasn't anything, right? So that is the power of chord tones. Now, the real key when we're doing this as an exercise, when we're doing the mapping exercises, is using voice leading. Now, if you've listened to this podcast for a while, or you're already familiar with jazz, you know about voice leading, and really quickly, voice leading is simply when you connect... Uh, one chord tone to the nearest chord tone of the next chord so in other words we have what's the nearest chord tone from here to the four chord the f7 it's going to be the third so you go up the arpeggio from the roots a root third five flat seven well the easiest most closest way to connect these together is a half step down which is the third of the f7 so and then we can walk up that and then what's the nearest way to connect back to the one chord to go to the third an octave higher so we have right you see how that worked that was seamless So you can keep going up the form like that, but that's voice leading. So you're connecting to the nearest chord tones. And by doing that, this is where the, really, the, the, really the magic of playing the changes, making the changes, as they say, comes out. But you have to practice it. You have to map things out. So uh, here's a piano recording of Concert C doing the chord tone mapping. Here it is. Okay, so I cannot overemphasize the importance of doing chord tone mapping. Uh, This is really important. I don't care if you think it's fundamental, if you're maybe more of an advanced player. uh, This is seriously having the ability to do this is the starting place in my opinion when we're doing our mapping but let's move on to the second sequence of mapping okay the second sequence and that is the guide tones now a lot of you are familiar with guide tones and you know what i mean when i say guide tones but it's important that i talk about what they are and the importance of them and why we're going over them next So the guide tones are essentially the money notes, if you will, in the chords that really differentiate one chord to the next. And in jazz, in seventh chords, specifically what I mean, is the thirds and the sevenths. And particularly the third, if you are landing on a third, like just a second ago in the chord tone, I just did this. And I landed on the third or the fourth. Now, immediately when you hear that third of the four chord, it's like wow, I can hear the chord changes come out. Right, landing on that third is so powerful, but also the seventh is powerful. And the reason this is in diatonic harmonies, if you go through um, every single chord and spell them out, the really uh, most important notes that are changing are the thirds and the sevenths. Right, the difference between a major seventh chord. And a dominant seventh chord is there's a flat seven, okay, so there's that importance right there. The difference between a dominant seventh chord and a minor seventh chord is a flat three and yes, when we get to half diminished and fully diminished, we have the the fives that are changing, but the fifth isn't really a strong chord tone, okay, but it's those thirds and sevenths that are really important, right in a diminished fully diminished seventh chord, it's a double flat seven, and that's the difference between a half diminished. And uh, fully diminished. So the thirds and sevenths are critical for really navigating chord changes. So it's important that we're able to identify those anywhere on our instrument, right? So, especially this is important, we're talking about the blues. So, we started with chord mapping, chord tone mapping. So we know the the basic form and the structure of the chord tones and how important those are. Now we're taking things down a little bit further and saying, okay, those are the most important chord tones, but let's get the, to the really one, like the money ones, the ones that if we target those and just know where they are and know how to get them at any point in time in our solos, we need to be able to identify those and we have to be able to map those out. So this is where we start doing guide tone mapping. So this is phase two. So this is going to look like this. We're going to have, we start with the one chord, right? That's the third and seventh. Third and seventh of the four. Third and seventh and the diminished chord. Right? So those, those are all the guide tones. That's not the mapping, right? So the mapping is when we're voice leading. So same concept, we want to voice lead them together. Now, this could also be helpful, a little extra tip here, especially if you're uh, an instrument like the guitar or you're an instrument where there are multiple different areas to play guide tones. This would be a good opportunity for you to try it out in different octaves, right? Being able to play the guide tones in different octaves, you know, lower on your instrument, higher up on your instrument, whatever you think could be uh, something that would stop you technically on your instrument, no matter what it is. This is where you would also want to think about things like this, because it's not quite enough for, again, I'm talking to guitar players really quickly here, stringed instruments, Um, not necessarily piano players, right? Because like you have all of that mapped out for you, but, you know, playing... Those guide tones in different octaves is going to be important. It's not enough just to know how to play them in one position. You want to know where else you can play them on the fretboard. In, in my example, right? Or if you're a saxophone player, if there's some different fingerings or a different way to play on the trumpet, you know, keep all those things in mind for sure, right? Or the trombone, right? These are tough instruments. Okay, so here's the piano recording of the guide tone mapping. Check it out. Okay, so guide tone mapping, and one other thing I want to point out with this too, and this also applies to the chord map, the chord tone mapping. There's more than one way to voice lead. right? You can, you can, you can actually hit the uh, the common tone. Sometimes there's actually a common tone, and you don't even voice lead at all. That's a good way just to go. Hey, these two chord tones have a relationship to each other. Or you can voice lead up, or you can voice lead down by a half step or a whole step. There's different ways to voice lead, but you're still looking for close connections with the chord tones. So there's more than one way to do this, and that's also what makes this mapping interesting, is that you don't have to just settle for one way to map out the guide tones. You can figure out other ways to map them up. Or you heard a little bit in that piano recording, you heard how at some points it actually went up an octave and then did some downwards voice leading to get back to the original octave. So there's many different ways you can go about this. The more different ways you try it, the more proficient you're going to be at identifying those crucial notes that we want to be targeting in our improvisation. Okay, let's move to the last phase of the mapping. So we started with chord, the chord tones, the most important you know tones that we need to be hitting in our improv to identify these chords, right? To get these changes to come out in our solos. Then we boil it down further to our guide tones, which are those money notes. Now we're actually going to go the opposite direction and get a more broad perspective. Essentially, I call this filling in the blanks. And yes, these are scales. But if you know me at all and you've been listening to this podcast, you follow me on Learn Jazz Standards, you know that I'm constantly talking about scales as pitch collections. And so I'll keep preaching this over and over again because I don't think I can hammer it in enough. When I think about scales, I don't necessarily think of them in a linear fashion, at least when I'm improvising, right? Um, That is, uh, thinking about them literally is important to know how to play them to understand your instrument, to navigate your instrument better. But when I'm talking about scales as it pertains to improv, I'm thinking of them as simply mapping out note choices that we have hence pitch collections, okay? We have collections of notes that we can choose from, and in this case, we already figured out what the chord tones are, what the guide tones are. Now, think about it as just filling in the blanks. We're filling in those different uh, note choices that we have that are in a diatonic scenario, right? Of course, it goes without saying we can hit non-diatonic notes. We can do chromaticism, like... Right now, we'll talk a little bit about getting into that in the next episode uh, when we talk about the pillars of jazz blues language. This is going to be a really important episode, right? This is just the mapping right now. We're not even to the language yet, but we're just talking about the diatonic notes today, right? Because this is the, this is uh, this is our starting place. So, the the really important thing about this to stop thinking about scales linearly when we're talking about playing over the blues is we're applying this same concept in our mapping of voice leading. And what you'll find when you start voice leading scales together is that you can't just rely on knowing and starting the scale on the root and going on up. Because when you start voice leading, you have to start at any point of that scale and know what those notes are. Now, if you're not really tracking with me on how powerful this is, it just means that you actually have to do this. If you actually do this exercise, you're going to be like, oh, mind blown. Okay. Like... I can't just play scales from the beginning to the end or wherever I feel comfortable. I have to know and be able to switch to a different scale and voice lead that from a completely other scale that I was playing at a moment's notice. And once that clicks for you, you're going to be like, oh, wow, I need to work on this a little bit more, right? So the scales that we're going to be working with are just the basics. So you might be thinking, oh, great, the minor pentatonic scale, right? the blues scale right no we're not talking about that scale at all we're not working with those those have to do with some blues language stuff which again we'll be talking about next episode so make sure you're subscribed but what i want to do is talk about a more modal approach and that's because we're still sticking with the chord tones here and the importance of those so we're talking about the mixolydian mode Right? The Mixolydian mode. Uh, if you don't want what a Mixolydian mode is, it's basically, think about um, playing a major scale but flatting the seventh. It's the, And that's that's basically the same as uh, a Diamond Seventh chord. It's basically a major seventh chord with a flat seventh in it. So just, if we're playing a C Mixolydian, just think, oh, C major. Oh, flat seven right there. Right, and that's that's your mixolydian. Okay, so what are we gonna play over this four chord? The F, we're playing the F mixolydian because it's a dominant seventh chord. Right, back to the one chord. Now, the only difference here is when we get to the sharp four diminished, this is the part where we play the whole half diminished scale. Right, whole half diminished. Now, I can, now I can just imagine you right now. You just swerved over to the side of the road, and you're like, "Oh my god, diminished!" Or you're like, you know, bench pressing even harder right now because you know the the very the very mention of diminished anything just terrifies you. Right? However, this is part of the mapping process. We have a diminished seventh chord in a basic jazz blues. We have to know all the notes how to navigate it and now the arpeggio is the most important the chord tones are the most important with the diminished especially the diminished seventh i will say but that doesn't mean that you don't need to know all the other notes in between um, and there's a great hack for diminished chords, which uh, we talked about with in an earlier episode, so a few episodes ago with Adam Levy, where he talks about if you're just playing a diminished seventh arpeggio, you can play all the other notes by simply approaching from a half step below or a whole step above. Why is that? That's because the whole half diminished scale is in the name. It's just a series of whole steps and half steps. It starts with a whole step, then goes to a half step, whole step, half step, whole step, half step, whole step, half step. That's all a diminished, uh, a diminished, a whole half diminished scale is. So you need to be able to do that too. But you need to be able to voice lead all these things together too. So now you see the filling in the blanks thing, it's not quite as easy as we thought because we have to be able to play these scales anywhere where we're at. However, if you start practicing it, right? We always think that we can just listen to this stuff or watch YouTube all day and it's going to magically, you know, sink into our head by osmosis. No, we have to actually practice this stuff, right? So that's where the mapping comes into play. All right. So let's listen to piano recording of the scale map. And uh, yes, let's do this. Now, wasn't that an awesome exercise, right? Like Now, I want you to to, to just envision something with me right now. Imagine that you are working on a concert C jazz blues like we are today. And imagine that you were able to successfully chord tone map, guide tone map, and scale map the entire thing just like that. Would you not feel very confident that you know the note choices that are available to you that you can you can envision you can picture you can feel where all those notes are for every single chord in a C jazz blues would you not feel a lot better about that absolutely you would if you were able to do this you most certainly would feel confident that you had a great starting place for what notes you can play over a jazz blues. Now, picture this now. Picture that you were also able to play this in B flat, which is another common blues key. So picture you're able to also map out all these things in B flat. Picture that you're able to do it in F, okay? That's great, because F is a common key of a jazz blues. A lot of jazz blues heads are in F. Great. Picture you could also do it in G, that's another common blues key, okay? Then a little bit more of an obscure one, but like a song like Sandu by by Clifford Brown, right? Right? That song. Imagine you could do it in an E-flat, concert E-flat. Okay, now let's start getting a little crazy. Imagine you could do all the mapping sequences in G-flat. Or B, that's a confusing one, right? Because that's a half step off from B flat, which is a common one that most people practice. What if you could do C sharp? Okay, are you getting, are you picking up what I'm laying down here? What if you could play and do the mapping for all of this in all 12 keys? What does that essentially mean? That essentially means that you are able to successfully identify any of the note choices you have to work with in. Uh all 12 keys for a blues. Now, what else does that mean? As I talked about in last episode, jazz blues contains some of the most important harmonic movements that happen in jazz music. Period. Two five ones, one six two five ones, movements to the four chord. Okay? And of course the five one relationship that we all know and love, and that's any kind of music. Imagine. Now that because you can map out a jazz blues successfully in all 12 keys, you can also map out a lot of other jazz standards. And it's gonna be so, so, so much easier. Imagine you go to a jam session or a gig and you feel that much more confident that you're not gonna play a quote unquote wrong note. Or even if you do play a wrong note, guess what? Only a half step away is a diatonic note. And oh, hey, that's the third. Oh, hey, let's go to the fifth now. Now, you're not thinking that in the moment, but guess what? Once you start actually practicing this stuff, actually exercising this stuff, it becomes second nature. Okay, I'll say it it becomes second nature. Like you don't, that's what improv is. You're not actually thinking about all this stuff. But the only way, the only way, my friends, to get to this level that you want to get to in your jazz improv, you have to be proficient on your instrument. This is a powerful way mapping out a jazz blues with these three phases. Phase one, chord tone map. Phase two, guide tone map. Phase three, scale map. If you can do that in all 12 keys, bam, boom, you have, you are already ready starting on your unfair advantage to just crushing it on jazz improv. If you don't believe me, it just means that you haven't tried this yet. It just means that you haven't actually done it. Or maybe you tried it once, but you didn't do it and you didn't go any further with it. You didn't consistently do it. That's why I have a jazz blues accelerator course coming out because that's where we're going to start really digging into this stuff and so much more. But this is just the starting point. This is strategy one. Okay, strategy one, mapping out a jazz blues for improv success. This is where we start. Now, we haven't gotten to the music yet, right? We did play the chord tones and hey, it sounded pretty good, right? But we haven't gotten to the music yet. Stay tuned for strategy number two. Stay tuned for strategy number three. Subscribe to the podcast. I want you to be subscribed because this is too important for you to miss, all right? We're getting to the music. The music is coming next. Where We're going to start taking all these note choices that we just mapped out and turning them into actual music, okay? Does that sound good? I know you're in for this so excited let's start by just taking one action this week i want you to just map out one key of a jazz blues all right that's all for today's show <laughs> i think i got a little too excited there at the end Didn't mean to yell at you. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm just really excited about this. I'm so pumped about Jazz Blues Month. I've been looking forward to this for months now, like literally just thinking about this. And of course, we've been working on the Jazz Blues Accelerator, me and the LGS team for a while now. And it's just been like, it's getting close. And there's just this excitement to serve you guys more, like this excitement of the transformations that are going to happen in this course. Um, I've seen this happen in, in some of the other courses we have. And this is one of those courses where I'm taking all the knowledge from creating all the other stuff and, and putting it into this course of both what I know is going to help you the most and both what I know you want, you know, and that's, I'm just so excited. So of course, be sure to sign up for that free masterclass that, that gets you into uh, an invitation into Jazz Blues Accelerator. So just go to com and sign up there, October 6th. 2019. That's when it's dropping. Excited about it. Hey, if you've been getting value to this podcast, you've been listening for a while um, and you still haven't done this, if you wouldn't mind just taking an extra 30 seconds or 10 seconds, I actually don't think it even takes that long, but just a short period of time to go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening to your podcast, leave a five-star rating review. Just tell other people why you like this show. It's a free way to give back. Just helps other people know this is a show worth listening to. Really appreciate that. Thanks for taking the time. Um, I really do. I, I read every single one of the reviews. And they just make my day every single time I read them. So thank you so much for everybody who's uh, left a review. Really appreciate that. Okay, we are coming out with strategy. strategy. I, that's the second time I've messed that up in this podcast today. Strategy. Strategy number two next week uh, on the podcast, which is three pillars of jazz blues language. We're going to be going over um, essentially three strategies within a strategy <laughs> of approaching jazz blues language and concrete steps forward. it. Okay. Subscribe to the podcast. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the LJS podcast brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes. And don't forget to join our jazz community at LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash newsletter.